Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and today I have a very disturbing story to tell you. This story has kept me up more than any other story recently that I've done a case study for. And anyone who I leaked or discussed this content with prior to the release of this episode has said that they cannot help but look up every little tiny thing they can about this woman. So I have compiled all of it for you guys. And before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Podcast. This is something I do just as a hobby because I love true crime and I love discussing true crime and I'm so glad that you're here to listen with me. Please be checking Storytime Slayer on Facebook for updates coming up. I have a few giveaways I'm going to be doing this summer and also that is a great place to go for more content, more photos to go inside with my stories. Let's get started. This episode is about Diane Schuler and the Tacoma State Parkway crash of 2009. So Sunday, June 26, 2009, a fatal car wreck made national headlines. 36-year-old Diane Schuler drove a minivan, which she borrowed from her sister-in-law, into oncoming traffic. She drove it in the wrong direction in the fast lane of the Tacoma State Parkway. In the minivan Diane was driving was her, her three nieces, Emma, Alice, and Kate, who were eight, seven, and five. Also in the van was Diane's two-year-old daughter, Emma, and her five-year-old son, Brian. The minivan collided after 1.7 miles of driving in the wrong direction on this very busy parkway, and it killed nearly everyone in the minivan and three men in the car which it collided with. Guy Bastardi, who was 49, Michael Bastardi, who was 81, and Daniel Longo, who was 74. They were on their way to an Italian family dinner, and the only survivor of this crash was Diane Schuler's five-year-old son, Brian, who did have complications after the accident. This made national headlines because it was completely inexplicable. Everyone who knew Diane insisted that she had to have been having some sort of medical emergency. Now, they knew she wasn't feeling like herself, And they were actually driving around looking for her and had already notified police about the possibility that a woman in a red minivan was not herself and it seemed like something could be wrong with her medically. So naturally, most people across the nation were anticipating that this was some type of medical phenomenon. However, that could not be further from the truth. Two days following the crash, Diane's toxicology report came back and Diane was heavily intoxicated. Her blood alcohol level was 0.19, and she had weed in her system. On the drive home, she consumed about 10 drinks worth of alcohol. The people who knew Diane could not believe this. They were shocked. Diane is described to be trustworthy, reliable, dependable, stable. She was a hard worker, a dedicated mom. She volunteered at her children's school, never missed any events, and was really involved, even though she also worked full-time as a cable executive. Her being under the influence of alcohol and marijuana was heavily disputed by Diane's husband, Danny, and their babysitter. I believe the other members of Danny's family dispute she was under the influence of alcohol, and they have a range of theories, which I will get to. Let's talk about the specific events of this day. 
So Danny and Diane had driven separately to a campsite so that Danny could pull the camper with his truck and get it all set up before Diane and the kids arrived. They had a weekend-long camping trip to a site that they visited every year for the last three years. The couple lived in New Jersey, and this campsite was actually in New York. Camping was a normal thing for the Schuler family, which is crazy. I mean, I have a bunch of kids and dogs and shit, and I hate camping a lot. It's like a three-time-a-year thing, if even. Generally, I will go one year a couple times, and then I won't go for a few more. It's just so much work. So in the morning that the family's leaving the campsite, uh, they're packing up. Diane and Danny have two cups of coffee. It's a regular morning. Danny loads all the stuff into the van for Diane, and they bid the campground host a goodbye. In fact, Diane actually went up, gave her a hug, pecked her on the cheek, and they left at like 930. The campground hostess said that Diane did not appear drunk and was not acting strange, nor did she smell of alcohol. First stop on the trip home was to McDonald's, and this was almost at 10 a.m. She got out, got breakfast, and let the kids play. To go, Diane ordered an iced coffee and a large orange juice. The next contact anybody had with Diane was a little bit after 11, and this is when she made the famous gas station trip. So I would guess this is when she first is documented to have been driving erratically, a little after 11. She is trying to get to the Sunoco station. She's on the highway and she's honking her horn. She's riding people's ass in her car, driving extremely erratically. An eyewitness says she was literally trying to take the shoulder when she was exiting to go around a couple exiting in front of her. Okay. She actually had to stop. She couldn't fit on the shoulder. So she just got behind them and honked and flashed her light all the way to the gas station. So she goes to the gas station. She parks at a gas pump, but she actually goes in, goes straight to the back. There's video surveillance of this, looks at the back wall. Supposedly, she asked the cashier for pain medication, and they had none, which, what kind of gas station is this? So according to the cashier, they asked if she, Diane asked if they had pain medication. They had none, and so Diane just immediately leaves. At some point, Emma's mom... Diane's sister-in-law calls Diane and they're just kind of discussing an upcoming play that the girls were in and Emma and Diane told their mom how good of a weekend they had and that they were heading home but Diane said they were actually going to be a little bit late for play rehearsal due to traffic. The truth is that prior to that call Diane was actually seen on the side of the highway throwing up and that's why they'd be late. Plus they had to stop at the Sunoco. Almost an hour following that call from Diane and Emma, Emma called her parents again from Diane's phone. And she is crying. Her sisters are crying. And Emma tells her dad, which is Diane's brother, by the way, that something's wrong with Aunt Diane. Diane cannot see. And when the brother gets on the phone with Diane next, he said that she sounded disoriented and she actually was slurring her words She sounded like something was wrong and even referred to her brother, whose name is Warren. She was calling him Danny, who's her husband. Now, Warren gets on the phone with Emma again and asks where they were. And Emma said that they were parked on the side of the road. And so she read him the nearest road sign she could see. Sleepy Hollow in Terrytown. Warren tells Diane to stay put and that he's coming to them. Does she stay put? No. Does Warren call 911? No. No. 
And it's so unfortunate that he did not call the police to check on her because apparently the location in which they were parked at, the street signs his daughter was reading, was not far from a police station or some sort of law enforcement building. I'm not positive it was an actual police department, but they were very close to help. Of course, when Warren goes to the location, Diane's not there. He calls her phone, but she's not answering. In fact, she didn't even have her phone anymore because she left it on the side of the road under the Tappan Zee Bridge. Diane's gone. No phone. No trace. So frustrating. Now, it's at this point, I think, that Warren finally involves Danny. And so now they're both out looking for her. And not only does their friend call police for the family to say, hey, woman in a red van may not be feeling so well, could be a medical emergency, be on the lookout, we need help. There's other phone calls rolling into 911 also. So the first phone call that rolls in is about a reckless driver. The same driver, same description, a red minivan, woman driving, full of kids or passengers, has now entered the Pleasantville exit in the wrong direction onto the Tacoma State Parkway, which is a huge parkway, okay? It's got multiple lanes on each side, I believe four, and not only was she driving in the wrong direction, but she was driving full speed, 70 to 80 miles an hour in the fast lane. She's not swerving. She's not slowing down. Her eyes are locked straight ahead with no hesitation. This is what eyewitnesses said. She was a woman on a mission to die. Cars were dodging her if they were so lucky. Until 1.35, when after 1.7 miles of driving into oncoming traffic, Diane crashed into a vehicle. The scene was jarring. Most everybody died immediately on impact. The van was on fire and two men worked to get it open and pull out whoever they would. These were not first responders. These were just ordinary people that pulled over on the side of the road. Upon opening the door, when they finally got the minivan door and jammed, Diane sort of rolled out of the van onto them, but she was already deceased. When they made their way into this burning minivan to pull out the passengers, the children were all sort of piled on top of each other, not in seatbelts in the back of the van. As they pulled the bodies out, it was very difficult. And it was even difficult for the men to describe later in a documentary. Because as they pulled each child out, they were just praying, please wake up, please wake up. Um, The children were not just injured or unconscious. They were already deceased, all but one. Remember, five-year-old Brian survived because he was actually piled underneath all the other children. This was a tragedy. Police and first responders had to tie up and lay out blankets to keep gawkers and bystanders from taking photographs of the deceased. The accident rocked the community. Such a tragedy. And everyone was so confused. Why did she do this? Why did she have to do this? With no autopsy report yet, everybody assumed Diane was having some sort of medical emergency and they were just waiting to find out what it was. Everyone spent time discussing how perfect Diane is and how great of a mom she was. Her kids never had a hair out of place. Nothing was out of place. She was on top of it. To me and most people, she was more on top of it than the average person. I will not dispute that Diane was great most of the time. A lot of people are great, but they're also alcoholics. And Diane was not a saint all the time. Her toxicology report was made to public as well as other details of the accident. Near her bag was a busted bottle of vodka, okay, indicating it was probably 
near her person or in her bag at the time of the wreck when she was driving. Secondly, she had extremely high levels of THC and alcohol. Her blood alcohol content was 0.19. So as perfect as Diane sounds, she also sounds really complicated. She's said to have been really great to people she liked, but would for sure let you know her feelings if she didn't like you. She was a person who needed to be in control, and that's probably because her mom left her and her three brothers when Diane was only nine years old. Her mom actually hooked up and ran away with the neighbor. So from a very young age, it was just Diane and a house full of boys that she had to manage and mama bear. Diane would not discuss the abandonment with anybody, not even her husband, despite the fact that her three brothers actually rekindled a relationship with their mother. Diane just refused to. Diane refused to discuss her mother to the point that some people actually naturally assumed that her mother was dead. These are not answers to why Diane did this, but it peels back some layers that um, show she was a little bit more complicated of a person. She's also said to have been very impulsive and would load up the kids to go do some impromptu shopping at like Kohl's, Sam's Club, and other stores. Another thing about Diane is Danny was like a third child to her. Even Danny's own parents say that Diane Schuler was the perfect daughter-in-law and great for Danny because he was like another kid to her and she was so good at managing people. Now that we know a little bit more about Diane, as soon as the toxicology report became public knowledge, Diane's husband, Danny, and Danny's brother's wife, Jay, which would be sister-in-law to Diane for over a decade, they began almost a sort of television campaign on Diane's behalf, insisting that despite the toxicology report and the busted bottle of alcohol, Diane was not in fact an alcoholic and that there's no way that she knocked back a bottle of vodka and smoked a doobie with the kids in the car. When asked where the vodka came from, Danny said they kept it in the camper and would have drinks by the campfire. Their drinks consisted of pina coladas and strawberry daiquiris, which I thought was very interesting, but okay. So he must have accidentally loaded it from the camper into their bags, which were in the front seat of Diane's minivan. And this is one of several suggestions that clearly show they are 1000% in denial. They're not even open to the fact that they could be wrong. They think that maybe she had a stroke or maybe she was managing the pain of an abscessed tooth because she hated going to the dentist. She had diabetes, which they said, but I've never seen documented proof that she had diabetes. And they even attributed to this accident to the fact that she did have a mysterious bump on her leg that could maybe be like cancer or something. Okay, these are literally any excuse they can pull out of the hat they're going for, right? Anything but Diane being drunk with five kids in her car. They disputed the blood alcohol test and even suggested that the DNA was not in fact Diane's and they want to run a sample against the police's DNA sample to make sure it was in fact Diane's DNA that they did a blood alcohol test on and didn't get anything switcherooed up. So um, in fact, they did check this out and it was her DNA. But anyway, they also think that maybe due to the medical emergency, she accidentally chugged all that vodka by mistake. Mm -hmm. Like her tooth hurt so bad and the gas station had no pain medication. So she either self-medicated on accident 
Um, or she had a stroke and she grabbed the vodka thinking it was water. In this campaign, Danny and his sister-in-law went on ABC, CNN, and all sort of news networks, basically just repeating this campaign over and over and over, refuting that she drank, refuting the toxicology report's accuracy, and they also emphasized that Diane was not suicidal. So it's just very sad. The truth of the matter is... Danny worked a second shift job in public safety and he actually wouldn't get home until after midnight and he went to work before Diane got home. They had a sitter four days a week and on the other days, I believe Diane's mother filled in. So with all that being said, Diane very well could have hid being an alcoholic from her husband if she wanted to. I work an opposite shift job for my husband and uh, you, there's, you miss each other a lot. Um, if I wanted to be an alcoholic, I probably could hide it from him. So I actually found this story in a true crime Facebook page I follow. Someone suggested this HBO documentary called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. The title comes from heavy disapproval from Warren and his wife, the daughter of the three young girls who died, because those were some of the last words that they heard from their daughter Emma's mouth. And she was in great distress and it was such a traumatic event. I'm sure they didn't want it to be remembered that way for their children. Only Diane's husband and sister-in-law participated in the HBO documentary. Warren and his wife actually don't even speak to Danny or Brian because of the way Danny has handled this tragedy. He has refused to admit what really happened to their children. On June of 2011, Warren actually sued Daniel for pain and suffrage of his children. Danny turned around and actually sued them for... Um, I think it had something to do with the minivan that Diane was driving, that it was unsafe. And then Danny also sued the state for an unsafe road. So the Hans family, which is the parents of the three nieces that Diane killed, they actually started a foundation to carry out their daughter's legacy, and it helps build girls' self-esteem and self-worth. They went on to do IVF, I believe, a year or so after the tragedy and now have a child. Danny is still in denial, and it's so sad. I want to touch base on a couple things. So the issue with Diane not being an alcoholic but consuming so much alcohol just one time is that she was actually able to drive. She could operate a vehicle with that much alcohol in her. She clearly had some sort of tolerancy for it. Now, I understand she made an irrational decision because she was drunk, but how the fuck do you drive? If you never drink and you drank that much. I mean, give me a break. Um, definitely, she bought the OJ at McDonald's to go with the vodka. I mean, hello. Who orders a big-ass coffee and an orange juice? The DNA sample was ran, and it was Diane's DNA that the police tested. This was not a fluke thing. As for the family of the other victims, they have found it a slap in the face that Danny cannot admit the mistake his wife made and he has made no apology he is just denied 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 there's a few other things that keep Danny's sister-in-law and brother-in-law from speaking to him um, and this is something that someone actually brought up in a little form discussing the documentary was somebody noted that there's a scene in the documentary after the tragedy and everything years later where Danny and Brian are looking at, through a photo album of the kids and his little sister, his baby sister, Emma, who died in the accident. She is in a, somewhere outdoors 
and she's holding a beer bottle. And it's so ironic that that picture would be in here. So I don't really know what happened that day. And this story has drove me crazy. But I think Danny knows more than he's letting on about his wife or he's a freaking idiot, right? (sighs) I'm going to end on that. Danny's an idiot. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you next week. Bye.